All right, well, we are continuing our series through Ephesians this morning, so go ahead and grab your Bibles. We'll be reading out of the ESV version this morning. Uh, there are Bibles at the uh, end seat of each row. Go on to your app, go into your browser, search Ephesians 6, and we will be in verses 1 to 4 this morning. The first three chapters... <clears throat> laid the foundation for what is about to happen in the second three chapters of this book. First three chapters, there's theology. The, the, the second three are application. First half, what God did to us, what God did for us. The second is how do we live in light of that? How do we live in light of what God has done in our lives? Chapter 4 was when that transition began, and it was all about the new life. It was all about putting on the new self, putting off the old self, because, after all, we are new creations. We are new people made in Christ. And then the last sermon in Ephesians two weeks ago was about marriage, and this was the beginning of the household code. So Paul has taken the the general in putting on the new self, and then he goes into the particular a little bit, and he goes into the house. And the question is, how do we act as Christians in our homes? And so there's three parts to this. The first one is husbands and wives, which we heard two weeks ago. Today is going to be children and parents, and next week is going to be bond servants and masters. So this morning, we're with children's and parents in the second of those three household codes, and how we're to carry our lives out as Christians in the home. So, read with me chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we need your help this morning. We need your help to hear your word and hear your instruction for us. So I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to be receptive to, to your word, to your transforming word in our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to see this text, Lord, not as a burden, not as something to do to gain your approval, but to see this text as instruction from you to us for how to live a godly life, how to live a life full of blessing and prosperity and spiritual blessings in your Son. So I pray that you would do that this morning. Fill us all with your Spirit so that we may live the blessed life as you have called us to live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> since 1960, just two generations ago, the average children to a family were, was five. Since then, it has halved. We are at 2.5 kids on average worldwide to a family. And China, in particular, for over three decades, had a policy of a one-kid family. And just eight years ago, lifted that restriction, while well, somewhat to make it a two-kid family policy. And now they're seeing the birth rates decline, and it's gotten to a point where 
they're alarmed and it's, it's hit a scary low of population. Will we have a population in the next few generations? So they're actually now encouraging families to have kids. But even so, even in the midst of that, many still aren't having kids. And when interviewed, here are some of the reasons why they aren't. The cost of kids. Kids cost a lot. The, the pressure of achievement in career and just the overall demand of life. Those were the top ones as to why people in China, even though they said, go ahead and have kids, are still not having kids. Now, these are real struggles. Don't want to diminish them. They are real struggles. And adding kids to the mix would certainly heighten that. So, in turn, children are seen as burdens. And today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, as we, we heard earlier. And because of many of the reasons just named, there have been millions of decisions to end the life of a baby in a womb rather than preserve it because they're seen as burdens, because they're seen as interruptions. And how easy it is for us to see our kids in the same way. How often do we, feel, do we view our own kids as a burden? As an interruption, as a speed bump to productivity, to career, to silence. Whether you're trying to go to sleep earlier, whether you're trying to go on a date with your spouse, whether you're trying to go on vacation or watch a movie or read a book or cook food or do laundry or anything for that matter that takes somewhat attention and time, our kids can be an interruption. We can so easily view them as a burden. But God sees them differently. God sees the child in the womb forming and knitting him or her together as a blessing to that mother and that father. He sees all our children who are interrupting our plans as a blessing to us. As a gift from him to us. This is what Psalm 127 says. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Not a burden to our lives. I'm going to say that again. It's simple, but it's important, and it's key for our text this morning. Children are a blessing from the Lord, not a burden to our lives. Children are a gift from God, not a hindrance to our plans. They are an addition to joy in our lives, not a detractor of it. Do we see them this way? And if not, why? And if you're here in this room this morning and your kids are already fully grown or left the house or you're never planning on having kids, this still applies to you because this is an investment in the next generation. That's what this is, an investment in the next generation. We're going to have two points this morning. Two points. The first one is a blessed life for the family requires obedience. A blessed life for the family requires obedience. 
Let's listen to the first verse this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children here refers to those living in the home and those old enough to obey. This is directed to them. There are a few children in the room right here in front of me. This is directed to them. This is supposed to be heard by them. So if they're not in this room, this is to be read to children. Paul is directing this to children. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, obey here is a stronger word than submission. Last passage we saw with husbands and wives, he uses submission for the wife to the husband, for us as the church to Christ. But here he uses obey. Obey is a different and stronger word from kids to their parents. It is, it is an unquestioning compliance, but stick with me, okay? This doesn't mean our kids can't ask for reasons or more understanding, but it means that a discussion does not have to be had in order for them to obey. It is obey your parents. Obedience is right. Obedience is good, and it's fitting for a follower of Jesus. Colossians 3.20 says, Obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's good. It's orderly. It's godly behavior. That's obedience. Let's look real quick at the opposite. Let's look at disobedience. Let's look how Paul defines disobedience and what category he puts it in. Listen to these two passages. 2 Timothy is talking about the last times and how people are going to act. He says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, without self-control. Romans 1. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they're gossips, slanders, haters of God, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. This is not a list that I would typically normally think about putting disobedient to parents in. But he's talking about how it, it corrupts the person and the soul. It is disorderly. It is against God's creation and his design it is unfitting for a follower of Christ. It is out of place in the pursuit of Christ and antithetical to Christian living and in living specifically in the home. Jesus obeyed his parents. Jesus was submissive to Mary and Joseph. The God-man himself was subjected to the law, the fifth commandment, and honoring his father and mother. But even more than that, even more than that, he was obedient to his heavenly father. Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's several passages about Jesus' obedience, submitting. Why is this important? Because obedience to God is good. It is right. It is what righteousness looks like. And his obedience, Jesus' obedience to the Father was not for him alone. He was the second Adam. It was to reverse the curse 
of the first Adam's disobedience. For Adam and Eve in the garden, they brought by their disobedience, they brought a curse upon all of humanity, corruption, death, all those who are in him, in Adam, which is everyone born of man, will inherit these things. One act of rebellion, disobedience, brought the fall of all humanity. But the perfect obedience, the perfect obedience of one man, Jesus of Nazareth, brought peace, order, and eternal life. That's how important obedience is. So that all of those who are in him, in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ, by faith, will now inherit those things. Namely, eternal life. Life with the triune God forever. And I want you to listen to this. This is Revelation 21. You've heard it before, but this is what we're looking forward to. In that inheritance brought on by Jesus' obedience. John writing, he says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The reversal of Eden, the, the, the curse brought, and the separation of man and God. Then he continues, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The former things, the things that were brought on by Adam's sin and our sin, his disobedience, our disobedience, those things are no more because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. Does this mean now that obedience isn't as important anymore? Because Jesus already accomplished its rewards for us. Well, Jesus' own words say to his followers, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So children, you can show love to your parents by obeying them. Christians, we can show love to God by keeping his commandments. And this is where it hits the heart level. This is where it goes on the goes beyond the, the mere external is that we ought to show honor in obedience which is a, a disposition of the heart so we're going to continue on verses 2 and 3 and see the, the fifth commandment brought out read verse 2 and 3 with me honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul is quoting here from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And he's naming here the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And he says it's the first commandment with a promise. Specifically, he's talking the first of the Ten Commandments. Not first of every commandment given. Just of the ten. This is the first with a promise. And the promise is blessing. The promise is a life that's going to go well. Living long in the land. The land was everything back then. So living long in the land was 
their blessing, was their promise. Now, this doesn't mean that every single person who honors their father and mother will live many years in this life. And it doesn't mean an early death means that they are disobedient or not honoring to their parents. This is to be taken proverbially, which means in general, in general, honoring your father and mother leads to a long and prosperous life. This is how God's world works. So this is how we ought to live. For children to pick up their room and and doing it while angry and complaining might be on the surface obeying that command to go clean up your room. But is it honoring their parents? Is it showing respect and honor to their parents, seeing them as a gift from God? For adult children, those of us, always children, moving out of the house, even raising our own kids, we still have parents. Continuing to honor and respect our parents even when we're no longer under their authority to obey their commands. We still honor them. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. Adults, you still need to honor your father and your mother. In both cases, it's, it's showing respect. It's seeing your parents as a gift from God who have sacrificed for you. One, one way in particular, for those who have moved out of the house and are now raising families, to, care, to, to honor your parents is to care for them, for your, for your aging parents. This can be inconvenient. This can be burdensome. This can even feel like it's not your problem at times. But this is a way of keeping the commandment and loving God by honoring your parents, your aging parents, taking care of them at the point in their life where they cannot take care of themselves. Okay, we looked in those three verses at the kids' roles, the children's roles in the home. But now we're going to shift and we're going to turn to the parents. How, how a parent, a Christian parent, ought to parent their, their kids. This is point number two. A blessed life of the family requires instruction and discipline. It requires obedience and it requires instruction and discipline. This is verse four. Let's read verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, fathers here, Paul uses fathers on purpose, okay? Noting the, the male headship in the home, what we just saw last passage in the marriage, there's a unique responsibility with fathers in the home to, to set the spiritual tone, to set the spiritual environment and culture of the home. However, while that is true, there is very good reason to believe and to read this as applying to both parents. Right? One, one simple one is the first verse is obey your parents. After that is honor your father and mother. So while Paul is singling out in a way, fathers, I want you to pay attention. Do not do this. You're the head of the household. This fully applies to both parents here. So Pro- Proverbs, by the way. Proverbs 1.8. Here's an example. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There's several of those Proverbs. The moms, too, are to instruct 
and to teach just as the fathers are. And in this case, to not provoke their children. Do not provoke your children. This is, this is his negative command that he starts out with. This would be parenting that is overbearing, that is unfair treatment, or putting unrealistic expectations on your kids. The same passage, parallel passage in Colossians says, do not embitter them or they will become discouraged. Now this is where we, this is where we heed God's wisdom in our life over cultural norms. Some cultures may think kids need to be seen and not heard. No openings whatsoever for dialogue that kids sort of need to be put in their place. And it's good to know that Paul is actually speaking into that kind of culture because that's how the Jewish and the Roman communities treated their households, by and large. That's how they saw it. There was a heavy-handedness from fathers to their kids. And the first three verses, as they heard this, they're probably cheering, yes and amen. This is exactly what I want in my home. Kids obey, honor us. And as soon as he gets to don't provoke your kids, they're starting to pay attention. Because this would have probably been a shock to most first century audience. Don't provoke our kids? This was countercultural. This was against the cultural norm. This is God's principle for all of life. This is how you ought to raise your kids. Do not provoke them. This is how God intends it to be. Here's what commentator Clinton Arnold says about this. He says, This passage effectively rules out reactionary flare-ups, overly harsh words, insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, and anything else that can be perceived as provocative. This is the type of parenting that is unreasonable or fault-finding or in, in a way that your kids can never do right or neglect or inconsistency. One day I react this way to something they did yesterday and my reactions are completely different because maybe I'm in a hurry today. Maybe I'm wanting to get something today. These are things that can provoke our kids to anger, that can bring them to discouragement. One example of this was just a couple weeks ago with my daughter as I was putting my son and daughter to bed, which is the easiest part of my day. And I, I go in and I do the normal things and my, my daughter requests something. That was totally reasonable. That's not always the case. There's a lot of unreasonable requests, but this was totally reasonable. And my reaction was incredibly short and was basically just, no, not tonight. Go to sleep. And she responds. She says, Dad, it's because you want to go watch your movie. <laughs> and she was 100% accurate. I was unloving towards my kids because I was in a hurry. Because I had an agenda. I had something I wanted to do. Their requests, completely reasonable. My parenting in that moment, unreasonable. That response was, was harsh, and it was short, and it was uncalled for, and it provoked them to be discouraged. Instead of being unreasonable, and harsh, and 
sarcastic. Paul says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the contrast. Don't provoke them. Instead, bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That's what he's contrasting. And he says, bring them up. This is, a, this is agricultural undertones here. This is, this is something that promotes health, that nourishes, that you would do with a plant or a flower. Meaning there needs to be gentleness. There needs to be long-suffering. There needs to be patience. And how does this look? How, what do we start with? We talked about at the beginning. It's seeing your kids as a blessing and not a burden. Mentioned this earlier, Paul in chapter 4, talking about putting on the new self. One of the things he says is, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Or, here, bringing them up. What better opportunity do we have to apply that verse than in our homes in which we say the most words to our kids? It's easier, so much easier, to be short with them and just ask for that unquestionable obedience. That is so much easier than to bring them words of encouragement to meet their specific struggles. It takes time. It takes more work. But the plant that flourishes, the plant that the soil has been tilled and the weeds have been plucked continually. And I might add, your children are individual image bearers. Each needs to obey you and honor you and you must not provoke them but how you bring them up individually in the instruction of the Lord will look different. We were just at a, a retreat, and uh, Mark and, and Jill Prater, Mark is the executive director of Sovereign Grace, a very godly man, a very wise man. They gave some lessons about um, their life, and one of those lessons was, was looking back and wanting more of raising their kids as individuals, as meeting the needs of their kids individually because kids have God-given personalities, different God-given personalities. Some have extreme energy, loud, always active. My son Emmaus, if you've ever met him, that's that. Some sharing everything about their day and showing you everything they've ever made in their entire lives, which is fantastic. Some quiet and reserved, more layers to get to their heart and how they respond to different fears. I don't think I need to mention how important these formative years are for them. This is when their worldviews are formed. How they see the world work, how they see other people act and why they do what they do, why God created the world and asks how they respond to it, who God is. I don't want this to be burdensome or a weight of undue pressure. I'm just wanting to highlight the amazing 
responsibility and opportunity we have in parenting while we have our kids under our roof. But know, know that there is grace in this. There is a lot of grace in this because parenting is one of the most difficult tasks you will do. As we instruct and discipline, we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the grace of Jesus Christ, and in the wisdom of the Father. When you instruct and discipline in the Lord, you are doing so with the Trinity at your back helping you. That should be encouraging. That should lighten the burden that you might feel from this weight of responsibility. This awesome and amazing responsibility. Now, as hinted at already, this instruction and discipline is a task that's primarily to be done at home. This is to be done in the home. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6 here. This is the Shema. Some of you might have heard that before. It's this passage in which uh, Israel would memorize. This was one of their most important passages. Starts with, our God is one. And then verses 7 and 8 say, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Look, Christian schools are wonderful. My, my daughter's in one. They're, they're fantastic. But they aren't a substitute for instructing your kids at home. Children's ministry here on Sunday morning is very important hour. It, it is a formative hour. It's an investment in the next generation. For parents or non-parents, this is a great way to invest in the children of Cross of Grace and the children that we're reading about. This is how this text applies to everyone here. We need more volunteers back there. So I'm going to plug. We need more volunteers back there. And for the volunteers who are back there, know who are on rotation, know that we do need more volunteers back there to invest in the next generation, to instruct our kids here at Cross of Grace in the ways of the Lord. And I just want to say thank you to those who are serving, who have been serving back there. Thank you for doing that, for investing. I can tell you firsthand, it matters. Because I've seen my kids come home and my son tell me what he learned on a Sunday. Then I say, I just taught you that last week. Why didn't you remember that? It matters. It really does. It impacts their hearts. I can see it as a parent. But, but it's not a substitute for instruction in the home. That is the most important part. It can't be a replacement for the place that is supposed to be the primary means of instruction and discipline in the Lord. It will always be that way. And take heart. Take heart. You do not need to be a scholar. You do not need to be an academic, a theologian, seminary trained with a Bible certificate. You do not need any of those things. Just a parent who seeks the Lord and uses his word to instruct and discipline. That's what it takes. It's in the Lord 
at the beginning of our passage. It's of the Lord at the end of our passage. This is bookended by the Lord. God stands by your side as you teach your kids his instruction and show them his discipline. What an encouragement that is. Some of you in here, as you hear the word discipline, it might bring up different thoughts or emotions or experiences. But know that godly discipline brings life. Godly discipline brings life. Listen to the words of Hebrews 12 about how our Father, God, disciplines his children, us, in love and what it does for us. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. They're assuming, by the way, we're disciplining our kids. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This discipline is tied to instruction, tied to training. It's expository. You explain it. Meaning, it goes beyond, because I said so. Children need to obey, even if you were to say, because I said so, and I know you have, I have. They need to obey that. But we want to let them know why. We want to instruct them why. That's when we apply the gospel. Because, son, because, daughter, God has done this for you. That's why. This goes beyond behavior modification, and it gets to the heart, and it transforms the heart because the gospel is being applied. Instructing our children with the gospel as the reason for obedience will leave a lasting impact once they leave your house and they go out into the world that is going to be teaching them everything opposite of what you did. Giving them the reasons why. Laying the foundation for them is going to have a lasting impact. And because I told you so, will not. Parental authority is a reflection of God's authority. When we show our kids discipline that is connected to instruction and done so in love, with gentleness, caring, we show them the love and discipline of God the Father towards us. Investing in and making disciples of this next generation is a worthy task. Because children are a blessing from God, not a burden to our lives. I want to end with one more from, from Mark and, and Jill Prater. Mark had mentioned that he was, he was not brought up in a Christian home, and neither was his wife. So when they became Christians, they were first-generation Christians. They had three children together, who they had brought up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And those three kids are now believers. Those three kids, 
combined, had 14 kids. Because they were Christians, they brought their kids up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. So now, because God had called Mark and Jill however many years ago, they responded to that call and they trained their kids up in the instruction of the Lord. There are now three generations of Christians because of that. And I expect many more to come. They left a legacy of godly living when they passed on the generation of faith. My, my mom is in this room and she did that for us. She brought us up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And now we do that with our kids. You can have a lasting impact. There, there is no more the train has moved on. It, it can be today. It can start now. It's not too late to do it. Invest in the next generation. Whether it's with your own kids and they're really young, they're older, they're even grown. It's with other kids in this church. We can have that lasting impact that can go generationally and generationally until the Lord returns. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have as parents. To, parents, to parent our kids in the instruction and discipline that you have given us in your word. Help us to be faithful parents. Help us to do this mighty task in your name and with your strength. It is by your spirit, Lord, that we can have any lasting impact in this, any attempt at success in this. So I pray that you fill every parent in this room, that as they walk away from this service this morning, they walk away encouraged. They walk away with an easy yoke and a light burden because they've come to you and they've asked for your strength in this. Knowing confidently that you will grant that request. Lord, I pray you do so. Bless the parents here at Cross of Grace. Bless those who are going to invest in the next generation in children's ministry or wherever else they might do it. Lord, let us see a generational impact because we have followed your wisdom for parenting our kids and raising up the next generation. Help us to do this well in Jesus' name.